Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole, and I am super excited today to be here with Catherine Madden. Catherine, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Hello, Cole. Thanks for having me. So for those not familiar with Catherine's work, Catherine is an illustrator, designer, creative director, facilitator, synthesizer, uh, self-described asker of stupid questions, which we'll (laughs) talk about more, and real-time sense maker. And she does all of these things through drawing. And so I actually got to know Catherine, uh, met her first in 2017. We were both at the Tapestry Conference for Visual Storytelling. And I was presenting and Catherine was drawing real-time sketch notes of all of the presentations, <laughs> which was my first taste of her magic. I uh, got to know Catherine a lot better if you fast forward a year or so after that uh, in working together on Let's Practice. So I knew when I started out on the second book that I wanted some visual summaries of content from the first book. And so had originally reached out to Catherine to say, hey, might you be interested in partnering up, doing some illustrations? And then over the course of the project, it turned into a whole lot more than that. You probably didn't know what you were signing yourself up for at the beginning of that, right? (laughs) I remember being like, yeah, I can help you, but it'll be like, within this confined space because I have limited availability and then, you know, timelines change and and availability change. (laughs) Uh, Mainly because we decided to set the book on our side, which is a fun and taxing process. Mm. So you got Matt at flight design involved and yeah, what we thought at the onset would be some illustrations turned into super awesome thought partnership. Mm. Uh, And fun. Well, you've got this superpower, I think, for taking ideas and words and turning them into pictures that just Mm -hmm. stick and resonate in a different way. And that's actually what I want to focus on mainly here today is the power of drawing. And so I want to hear both uh, about your story, right? How you developed this skill, but also you get other people to draw too, right? So how do you get people thinking and brainstorming and working together through drawing? Uh, We have some folks tuning in live today uh, who will help steer the conversation as well. So for folks tuning in live, uh, you can ask your questions throughout our session today through the chat window. I'll be feeding those to Catherine as we go along. We'll also save some time at the end in case there are other topics that come up that you want to hear from her about. And so for folks who are listening, Catherine may also show us some things today. So we'll be sure to both describe those things as well as, yeah, put those into the show notes. So for anyone who's listening, when we're talking about something visual, we'll make sure you get a chance to see those things too. Oh, and with that, Catherine, look at us, her first, (laughs) nice, her first illustration up, nice advertisement of our session today. And so let's start by talking about you, right? You have this superpower for turning words in thoughts and ideas into visual illustrations and drawings and things Mm -hmm. that people can see. So I'm curious what your path has looked like, right? How did you, how does your brain work? How did you develop this skill and what did the course of life look like that got you to where you are today? I actually pulled together earlier this year, there was an article featured in the We Transfer, which is like a publication along with, uh, it's actually called We Present, but it's a publication along with We Transfer, which is a file sharing application, but um, they feature artists and creators. And I had time to think about this story and how it all made sense in the process of getting interviewed for that publication. And I created a couple of illustrations. So I threw them in here to help tell the story because I just would rather show you than tell you. But um, what you're looking at is a picture that I found in one of my sketchbooks from when I was in high school. And 
I got called to the front of the room because my teacher thought I wasn't paying attention. And he asked to see what I was working on in my notebook. And it was a drawing of him. And I was pretty nervous when I was getting called out for so that. So you're drawing but, a picture of the instructor at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people will relate to this. It's not that I'm not listening. It's that I'm just... I need something to do with my body. And it's actually not visual learning. It's kinesthetic learning. I need to be moving and processing like in some way. And so I do listen better when I'm able to sketch. I think a lot of teachers in particular, and when I'm teaching, I also like look out at the classroom and if someone's doodling, it is a little bit hard to connect like, wow, that person looks like they're not paying attention. But what really is happening is it's just helping me focus. So that's where it all began. I was, I like studied art. I went to school and um, specialized in digital art um, with an idea that I would become a graphic designer, which, which sort of did happen. My first couple of jobs were very conventional graphic design. And then as I moved into a little bit more like responsibility and started to work with folks who would see like my process and through the process, I would sketch ideas and then show them, you know, part of the graphic design process is to increase the level of fidelity of your ideas throughout each stage. So it starts with a sketch and then it gets a little bit more refined. And at some point you shift into the transition to like a digital product. And that works because your client is focused on the right level of detail throughout each stage. So don't focus on like nitpicky things when we're just trying to figure out, does this structure and this concept work? So early on in my career, I started to get a sense of like the power of drawing as a tool to like collaborate and brainstorm and get people's input. It's also like a psychological trick. When people feel like they're sketching with you or see your sketches evolve, they're like way more bought into the final product. So mm -hmm. If you're afraid to show them, I would just keep that in mind. It's like you're co-creating versus like going behind a curtain and being like, look at all these amazing things I came up with, accept them, please. But what really happened is I started to get invited to like more meetings where people would be talking about ideas. And uh, after a while, I just got really tired of the, um, the disconnect that was happening. You know, like a lot of people would think they're on the same page and they weren't. And so I got up and started whiteboarding. Um, and this was in the setting of like a safe team where like we had a weekly meeting and I was really at, at first just like tracking our action items and making checklists and things. And the benefit was immediately noticeable, like just having this whiteboard and shared headspace uh, visible to everyone where we were like tracking ideas and stuff. And then Do you remember really the first time, when would this have been? Yeah, it was so, this is when I, my first five years of my career, I got a security clearance in DC and was working with the intelligence community. So I remember going into a skiff and like feeling so detached from the world every day. And every Monday we had this like status report meeting that just after like maybe two months of it, I was new to the team. I was new to the, the in, intelligence world. So I was like really nervous, but I was losing my mind. I was just like, why are we talking about the same things and not making any pro progress? Or like, why are we not seeing things new week over week? And just the first time standing up at the whiteboard doing it, it was, it didn't feel scary or anything. I think a lot of people are like, oh, this is so intimidating. I think because I have like the art background, I know like whatever I do is going to be like, at least at a minimum, it is going to be legible. But I will say that shouldn't stop you if you have bad handwriting or anything, because it's sort of like the idea of being able to just express yourself while you talk. So it's like an additional layer of communication, but it doesn't have to be replacing the fact that you're like sharing words verbally. So I think where it sort of evolved is to the idea of like not just tracking action items, but doing more like synthesis and ideation in my head and then like putting it out to the group and saying, here's can I reflect back visually what everyone's talking about? And so I'll, I'll try to like connect a bunch of dots that came across, you know, different topics and sort of creating that, like the overarching summary, or what if we thought about it this way and offering to the group, like a new way of thinking of something at the, you know, sort of natural conclusion of the conversation. And that just became like super popular <laughs> among the teams that I was working with. And that was really like the beginning of a spectrum that I like to think of 
wow, I really planned this out well. I did not actually like script this, but everything is flowing. <laughs> um, it's what happens when you draw, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've actually referred to these visuals a lot over the years. So, you know, so everyone listening to this, uh, or I guess tuning in can see what I'm sharing, which is, you know, on the left, it's got a person who can't draw and someone, many people will identify with that. But then as you move to the right, the next thing is draw for myself. So that's what I was doing at the start, you know, like either drawing just to help me focus or drawing to take notes and, you know, synthesize information so I could remember it for later. And then drawing for others is sort of that transition to like moving up to the whiteboard and actually sharing what you're doing. And then drawing with others is sort of the, the ultimate as I see it. Cause I think it's so powerful when even people who don't identify as creative or artistic put their ideas on paper you just elicit such a diversity of thinking. And I do this thing in a lot of my facilitated workshops, we're calling it a shitty first draft party where anyone that. of any skill set is like invited and encouraged and in most cases required to submit like three to five ideas that they come up with in five minutes. And what happens is we'll just see like, oh, well, the way that you think of this is much different than the way I think of it. And what do you think our audience would like best? And it, it's so much more challenging to be a designer when you think like it's my job to figure this out and make it visual where if someone else comes up with an idea that the group likes, like that's a signal to like take that idea and then use your designer skills to build off of that foundation. I'll interrupt with a question at this point. So April has a question, uh, what program you are using to create the visuals that you're showing us right now? I meant to say that before we started. So I am gung-ho iPad user. This is sort of backtracking to the sketch notes idea. The very first time I even tried sketch noting, which is sort of a tangential but related skill, I brought my iPad to the like one of the early Tableau customer conferences. Because at the time I was working at Deloitte Consulting and I was a UX designer for a team that did data dashboards and analytics prototypes. And so... I was attending from the perspective of learning the best in the biz. And I just wanted to like capture all these amazing speakers and sketch noted. And so the app that I'm using is called paper and I have several tutorials within this app and a couple Skillshare classes to help people understand the power of using this for like a thinking tool versus like an art tool, which is what most of, I think the customer base for paper is, but yeah, that's actually, you see here drawing the verb. It's just an important distinction I like to make that a lot of people, when they think of drawing, they think of, they focus on the noun form of the verb. So like, look, I made a drawing and there's like a lot of immediate judgment on the idea of like, well, is it good or bad? And so if you focus on drawing the noun, you think about like the process and the action of drawing. And that's really what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like anything beautiful, although some of the stuff that I make ends up looking nice and ending up in reports in the form of an illustration, but usually it's just like more and more refined to get to a final digital. Well, and you're iterating to get to that point, right? It doesn't start out perfect and beautiful. I mean, sometimes it does, right? But it's that (laughs) process of refining. And then I imagine taking inputs and insight from particularly when you're drawing with other people, right? Or refining based on how the conversation goes. Like iterating to the point where I have thousands of pages and what is, how do you iterate? What does that process look like? I actually have, let's see, I pulled in a couple of the murals because we talked about, you know, working in this virtual setting. And so we can kind of go back and reframe that, but you know, here's just a page of one or maybe this is like two rounds of sketch concepts for a visualization that we're going to include in this year's Gates Foundation Goalkeepers Report. And it hasn't come out yet, but I can show you this because this entire like thread of a concept has been cut from the report. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's still worthwhile as an exercise that involves a lot of like iteration between writing data collection, data analysis, understanding what it says, sketching, writing, you know, so through as we were starting to write and we got more qualitative data, we realized we wanted to feature like the human side of the story. And so it didn't make sense to force it into any sort of like diagram or like framework because we wanted to feature like photography and humanity instead of the data point. Um, 
but you know, you can see like some of these sketches started out really rough and then, you know, it's sort of an organized chaos. I figure out a way to sort of work with a smaller group to come up with as many ideas as possible. And then with that smaller group, refine it to like two or three. So Mm -hmm. in this case, like these three boxes at the bottom are sort of three option one, option two, option three concept. And then we have all of the different sketches organized so that when we go to present, the group can, you know, understand our thinking process. And then in that larger group session, when we present the ideas, we also continue to sketch and do ideation and iteration and then sort of go back to a small team and do more brainstorming. And if you don't have a team, you can do this yourself as well. You know, it's just like, come up with as many ideas as possible, pick your best three, show them to your client or your stakeholders, see and what they like. And when you say come up with ideas really tactically, uh-huh. what's the best way or how do you recommend that people do this? What, what yeah. tools are they using? What supplies do they have? I kind of gloss over that because it's so natural to me at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the shitty first draft party is probably my, my favorite approach. And really it's, setting a, the, the tool that you need the most here more than anything else. You don't need an iPad or a computer. You just need a timer and like a marker and some paper. And what I do is I'll just take an idea. Well, step one is normally really helpful. If you're not sure about like what exactly it is, you want to take the step to define what it is. So sometimes I'll create a mind map in order to do that, just to make sure I have like all aspects of this topic or the problem on the page. And then that'll be before I set the timer. Then step two, give myself five minutes. And one, if it's sticky notes or if it's paper, you know, like one idea per sheet and just do as many as possible. Why is the one idea? Is it so you can see them all at once or? Well, if it's uh, one idea per sticky is like the golden rule of facilitation because uh, then you can like put them up on the board and move them around and group them with like ideas. So if you're doing this in a group setting, like for example, I did this last year when we were thinking about what equity and inequity means for this report that we were writing in the Gates Foundation. And a lot of people focused on like data points of inequity, like people who fall below the poverty line. And then other thinkers, people who were in like more in like marketing communications thought in metaphor. And so they drew pictures mm-hmm. of like a race, but one person is starting way behind or one person has 50 hurdles and the other person has zero. And so what we noticed when everyone put their sticky notes and their ideas on the table is that there was like clumps of similar themes. And so when you do one idea per, you can like cluster them together and then see what rises to the surface is like the most shared insight or the most shared way of seeing that. And that's just, you know, data on either groupthink and that you need more diversity in your thinking or what you what will resonate among your audience. And so, you know, those are things to look out for and, you know, call attention to if there is like everyone has the same idea, then you need to try harder and like diversify because really to me what creativity is about is just like not stopping at the first or second or third thing that you come up with it's more about having a ton of spaghetti to throw at the wall and eventually something will stick but it takes a while and when I'm working with junior designers or folks in like (laughs) the developments or not like not development as in nonprofit, but developers as in software developers. I think I frustrate people because I'm like, I'm sorry, but we need to throw this out and start over. (laughs) But that ultimately, you get to a point where you realize it's not working and you have to go back to the drawing board. And I, you know, there's just a a tendency to get attached to something and make it seem precious. And you don't want to let go of it because you've spent all this time on it. And so that's another benefit of drawing. If it just lives as a drawing for a while, it doesn't really cost you much to, to scrap it. Or to come back to it, right? And then you've got these Mm -hmm. options. All right. So you've got your steps up here, right? Define, Mm -hmm. draw, share, and repeat. How, how did, so we've talked a little bit about the drawing piece, right? So, and actually I noticed now that you've enlarged the image and I noticed this when you said it earlier, but you said marker, right? Which is not a pencil. And I have Mm -hmm. some beliefs about why that might be, but now I actually see on your drawing, you have a circle that's crossed out and in that circle are a laptop and a pencil. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the pencil is just an invitation to get precious uh, because you can erase it. And, you know, 
you could say the same thing about like whiteboard markers because you can erase, but there's something about the ability to erase and just like the fine point and the ability to add detail that is unnecessary at this step of the process. If you're just really thinking about like, let's get on the same page and imagine what's possible. You don't need the fidelity of a pencil tip and the ability to erase. And it, it's, it's just easier to think rough when you have a rough tool in your hand. And so when you're saying marker, is it like a thick marker then too, right? Yeah. Like go for a Sharpie. None of this like ultra fine point micron marker. No, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. I like a Sharpie on a sticky note or Sharpie on a piece of paper and see what it is. And it's not like it has to be speak for itself. Like I said before, you know, you can, especially if you're with a group of people, you could have an apple on a page and be like, the apple represents the process of like bearing fruit. And I want to use a metaphor for this of having a garden and harvesting your, your fruits for this article or whatever. And then it's just an apple. But when people see that and you go back into like more ideation, people have heard what you said about it and can link that to a simple picture. It doesn't have to like contain the whole landscape. And so once you've done this, if you're doing this in a group setting, what does the sharing process typically look like or how, how do people navigate that? That's a good question to get specific because there are some rules about sharing. What we do is, again, the timer comes back in handy. Typically, this is like a really iter- fast process. So if we want to do this multiple times and people are very busy and it's hard to get people to set aside too much time to doodle in their calendars. So after the five minutes, then each person has one minute to share all three to five or however many ideas they have. And at the end of that, there's no input from other people. They just get to go through all of their ideas, start to finish, complete it, pass it on to the next person. And they do that until you get through the whole group. And then you have a couple minutes of group discussion about what you liked what was common, what you might try in the next round. I encourage people to kind of like mash up ideas. So in round two, if you're going to do this multiple times, you could take something that you saw that you liked from someone else and combine it with an idea that was sparked because of the conversation and then build on that. And the additional rounds that you do in a party, you could minimize the number of like minimum drawings in the second and third rounds, you could try to say, do one or two this time, but make them a little bit more detailed and think about them a little Mm -hmm. bit more thoroughly and how it would actually come to life. And then that's where you can start to put some more practicality onto it, I guess. Is there an ideal size for the overall group for something like this? Yeah. I mean, I think you wouldn't want to go any bigger than like 10. I feel like then you're just not going to have enough time to get through everyone, but from two to 10, I would say. Two to 10. So this, I mean, and you can tell even as you, you know, you, you show us the different visuals and the way that you're talking about, like, this is all second nature for you. And you describe yourself mm-hmm. as a lifelong doodler. But how do you get other people thinking in this way? Do you encounter hesitancy when it comes to groups that you do this with for drawing? And what do you do then? How do you get people to let that guard down? different ways. I think, you know, number first and foremost, it's the act of like being demonstrating, you know, and showing like, we're not talking about creating the drawing, the noun, you know, this is the reminding people of the verb. And I, I'm going to demonstrate like a warm up activity I like to do. So I have everyone in the room, just like take a page and draw a couple different squiggles across the top. And, you know, there's no requirements for this. They can look like whatever you want. And then I ask them to turn them into chickens. And all you have to do is add a little V and then two feet. And they're called, we'll call them like doodle birds. But this is just a warm up exercise to show people like, you just drew a scribble and then turned it into a chicken. And they're pretty cute. And like, you can imagine a story about who's like facing who. And it just, lowers the barrier a little bit. And then if people are still feeling uncomfortable, I have a lot of resources and sometimes we'll, if we have the time, walk through a little bit more detailed introduction to what many people in the visual thinking world call the visual alphabet. And the idea is 
you can draw anything using a very small number of basic shapes. And to describe this in words for people who don't have the picture, it's, you know, a dot, a line, an arc, a twisty shape, an arrow, uh, a circle, a triangle, you know, things that are just easy to for anyone to draw for the most part. And when you combine those into different, you know, sizes and locations, you get a whole I mean, it's infinite in terms of what's possible. So that is the expectation that I'm trying to set. Like, don't worry about representation in terms of like, if there's a person in there, they don't have to look like the person you have in mind. Or you could even just draw a scribble and then put arms and legs on it and say person, you know, like that's acceptable. And so this helps get people over the hurdle, right? So, and we'll definitely Mm -hmm. find a way to share all the cool visual things that we're showing, but of those Mm -hmm. shapes you talked about, you know, you've been able to transform them into things like buses and spectacles and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So we'll get people over that hesitancy to draw. Then you get them starting to draw and think through the drawing. Can you talk us through, you mentioned this briefly before, but what does a shitty first draft party look like? And when, when would you want to use something like that? Yeah. I mean, it looks like a group of people in in the old world, pre-COVID, uh, sitting around a table and doing this in maybe if it's a business, you know, like a conference room setting with a whiteboard and maybe a couple of flip charts and some sticky notes and paper. What it looks like in today's world is me in a Zoom with a couple collaborators and we'll each have like our own drawing devices, whatever we want at our desks. And can we, let's talk about it pre-COVID first. I want to know what this okay. looks like without the constraints of today. And and then yeah. let's shift into a uh, COVID point. situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not much more to it really. It's like, then the ideas go up onto a wall and you can begin to group them if you want. And, you know, like things start to come to the surface. I've also done this in a group where each of us was working on like a little mini whiteboard. And so what's really helpful in this process, I will say, is documentation and the idea of if you're going to use something that ultimately gets erased, like a portable whiteboard, you're going to want to take pictures each round because it's just really nice to have the artifact of all of the ideas that came up in the early stages in case you need to go back to the drawing board at some point or add additional layers and color when you get to like the more refined stages of the design process. But yeah, uh, there's a timer, there's a bunch of doodling supplies and you kind of just go for it. I don't really know much more about like the setting that I can describe. All right. So they go for it. They share. They go through the scenario that you talked through before, right? These oh, steps you also that you have up in front of us. About where in the process it might happen. Yeah. Um, when would it make sense for a group to either have someone come in and facilitate something like that or to try to facilitate something like that on their own? I mean, I think it can happen at any point because in a traditional project, right? You're you're and I think for the the folks in this audience, you know, if we're, we're talking about like data storytelling and coming up with a an ultimate like visual depiction of some combination of qualitative and quantitative information, it could happen at the very beginning when you're the question is, what are we building and what do we need to build? Or it could happen midway through once you've defined those other things like you know, we're going to put it on a website, it's going to, and it's going to exist as a PDF. And then, you know, more topically, like what you want to focus on. And you can ideate within that container, you know, like, we want this visual to look to represent in the, you know, definition stage, we want this visual to represent the complexity of our economic situation right now. And then within that, you can, have a shitty first draft party to think about, do we want to use a chart to represent this? If we want to use a chart, maybe that's your starting point and you define it as like, which chart do we use to do? And is drawing data, is it different than drawing other things, would you say? Or are there different things to think about when it comes to drawing data specifically? It is in some ways. I mean, it's always complicated because you're not building it off of actual data because you're building it out of your brain. And so what you... Where, where it gets tricky is that you might know the shape of the data that you're working with 
and what's possible. So you could say like, let's make it a scatter plot because you know a scatter plot would work mm -hmm. because you have like the right level of fine detail and numbers that aren't just stepped, right? But then that's the tricky part because if you don't know the shape of the data and you're sketching data forms and then you go in and look at it and it yep. doesn't work, you just don't want to lead people down a direction too far without trying out, like, would this possibly work? And in that case, if you're sketching data, I think it's really helpful to have a person in the room who represents someone familiar with the data that you're working mm -hmm. with. And I wouldn't say to start there. I still like the idea of having that in your back pocket, like the person who knows about the data, because if you start with, this is what will work you're just limiting the ideation. Totally. So I would still sketch first and then run it through the filter of would this work with the shape of our data? So it's almost like there's just another piece that comes into that iteration process, right? Where that would allow you to rule some things out or reinforce mm -hmm. certain paths. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, like Jennifer's asking mechanism. with the shitty first draft party, if that relates to the design sprint process. Yes. Well, I'm not sure if Jennifer is referring to like a specific design sprint process that I promote or a general one, but if I'm doing a design sprint with a client, I will absolutely incorporate a shitty first draft party into the sprint because to me, it's like the starting point. We have to do some definition and then I want to get everyone's ideas on the table regardless of how they're involved in the project. There's also a great team building aspect to this where, you know, people who might not speak up as much and personalities that aren't as, you know, don't have as much clout or seniority in an organization can share what they're thinking. And it's really fun to see in groups where that's the case. You know, there's like a range of skill levels and experience that sometimes we're like, whoa, like so-and-so over there is like secretly brilliant and we didn't know it until now. Well, and it must normalize in some really interesting ways, right? Because I can always imagine, I also imagine the scenario where you've got some really distinct personalities and where you might have a person or a couple of people that tend to dominate where the group goes, but by going right. through a process like this, that pretty much can't happen or, or is more controlled or contained. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, I, I have been lucky to be trained in many different areas and, you know, like facilitation 101 is like, how do you account for the dominant personalities and make sure that all voices are heard? And you can do that in many ways, but, you know, like small group breakouts or like making sure you set aside time for everyone to go around the circle and share what they're thinking. That's really intentional design and it's really important if, if your client or the people that are working together all agree, we want to get the best ideas on the table and not just the loudest or the ones that we know are tried and true. And when it comes to facilitating in a group setting, are there other things that you'd recommend or that you've seen or that you do to help ensure that it's a successful process? Yeah. I mean, I think whoever is the sponsor of the thing, they really need to be on board and prepared. And I've done this with people who have varying levels of comfort with what I'm proposing. And it's tough because part of this is very much like you'll, you can't really know what it's going to be like until you're in it. But to the degree that I can prepare people and explain at a very finite level of detail, like this is going to take us 30 minutes and this is how we're going to do it. And these are the supplies and like just giving them sort of the, the low down is, is really helpful if you feel like they are unsure, because if that person is a sponsor, they're more likely than not, like also setting the tone for the session and leading the group. And so that's the person you just want to be bought into it. And yeah open, right? Well, and that's one question, right? Is it, are there, are there certain team dynamics or organizational cultures where this will work better or where it will work less well in your experience? Oh yeah. That's a great question. I have tried it. I'll say I've tried it in many groups coming from, you know, like nonprofits to like full on like pharma and finance. It's, it's certainly 
a, you can't say like one industry or another is more willing to do that. I think it's about like corporate culture and openness and how much they value innovation and creativity. But I wouldn't say that if you work in a place where they don't value it, it's not worth trying. It just is, you know, finding the right setting, the right people. And maybe it's a smaller team who, you know, like we need to get back to the drawing board here because this isn't working, but we'll do it with like a smaller group of people before presenting any concepts to the people who are keeping us in within like this framework that isn't necessarily working. Shirley has a good question, uh, which is Mm -hmm. with the shitty first draft parties for data, do you have situations where even with someone familiar with the data there, the idea from the party is implemented and doesn't quite work? Do you come back and do the party again or how do you move forward from there? Hey, Shirley. (laughs) I, I think there's a point at which you have to make a call like we're too far down this and we're not going to have time to do another shitty first draft party, but you're already in the data so much of another really useful part of design is just like trying things out and seeing when they don't work and acknowledging that and then moving on to the next thing. So in that case, I mean, I do think that has happened in the past and I'll either go back to like a smaller team to do the shitty first draft party versus like a larger group. And in the case of this Gates foundation report and that this sort of mural that I showed you, like all of these were created within like a small team of like me plus another designer, plus a dev and a program manager, like within a smaller team that then we would showcase to the rest of the people who are writing and compiling the report. And so we did go back once we realized, first of all, we did a lot of this in absence of any data. And then once some came in, we realized like, well, maybe we could do it this way. And then new data came in and that's when we scrapped the whole thing altogether. But yeah, I think there's just gauging like where you are in the process. And I think what Shirley's imagining is like you get, you've built a prototype that you're in love with uh, or works for some reasons, but doesn't for others. Like, and what do you do at that point? And I do think maybe if you're at that point, you know, you have to just cut your losses and take what you can from what's working and then just sort of like if you're at the point of no return, make it work with whatever you've got, you know, sort yeah. of Tim Gunn project runway. It. Cause sometimes you're just like up at midnight <laughs> and you have to get it done. Uh, sort of related to that. Julia has an interesting question, which is whether you have any tips on how to avoid the curse of knowledge. So for example, when everyone in the room is very familiar with the topic and the data, but the audience is uh, communication, the audience for communication is wider and less familiar. Mm-hmm. I don't have any like particular exercises, although one you know, just coming to mind is something I learned in improv or like I took a quick improv for design thinking course a couple years ago and we had to partner up and explain a piece of technology to a person like they were from 100 years ago. So just like trying to take yourself out of your jargon and your, you know, deep industry experience in order to explain like what a cell phone is to someone from a hundred years ago. Or another filter I like to encourage people to do is ELI five, which someone came up with and I heard many years ago, but just explain it to me like I'm five. And this kind of relates to the stupid question asker or role that I play. And I actually name that in many of, you know, when I first getting to work with a team, that is a role that I take seriously because I like to represent like a general broad audience and an outsider. And I think, I mean, I acknowledge there's like a privilege to be able to being able to do that. I talked about this with a group of people in one of my teams last year and a person of color who was female was like, that doesn't work for me in this organization because then they're just going to think I'm stupid. Whereas like another like white male in the group was like, yeah, well, it works for me, so I'll play that role and let's fix this about our society in another day. But like, if, it's nice to have those conversations. But anyway, just saying I'm the stupid question asker and I'm going to represent like as a persona, like these people who we're trying to speak to that don't have the lingo, like is really helpful. Um, well, and that must of- be helpful coming in as someone external to the organization as well to be able to do mm-hmm. that, right? Which is yeah, you one- kind of have permission. Yeah, 
to not know like, oh, what's that acronym or what's that? And I have done some when I was like actually at a consulting business, like I've done that to my detriment. Like I have said things Mm -hmm. that are really stupid that I shouldn't have. Like, who's Jose? And they're like, uh, the CEO. And I'm like, (laughs) all right, maybe I should have known that. But I I don't know. It's happened and I'm still here and I continued to work. So I think let that be a lesson. (laughs) So maybe we'll use this as a time to shift a little bit because I know you went there immediately and there's been a lot of chatter in the chat window about it, uh, which is how do you do the sorts of things that you're describing today, right? Where everybody's working from Mm. home, everything's virtual. You can't get in a room with a whiteboard, right? I was looking through, because you have so many great examples on your website. I was looking through the case study that you wrote up about the Gates Foundation report. And the pictures are like beautiful, you know, sticky notes in person and drawings around them and all of this stuff that has to look very different today. So how do we do this? What tools do we use? How is facilitating different? How do we think about this in the virtual world? Let's get like really specific. I feel like people want like tools, right? (laughs) So you're looking at it, right? So I am on an iPad that is connected to my computer via a cord, like like a, you know, USB-C. So I'm and you've drawing got on some my iPad. super slick way also of just showing ah, that quickly too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so really I have it, I removed my screen share for now, but what's cool is that because it's presenting and it's connected to a virtual webcam, I can also just switch it to be the profile or like my, what would be my video input to the Zoom. So this is great in the case that you don't want to be the shared display. Like say someone's presenting slides and I just want to be taking notes. And if people want to pop in and check on my notes or see where my sketches are headed, they can pin my video. Hmm. Um, And then their other option is to use my iPad as like the shared display that everyone gets to see. But no matter what, I think my cardinal rule of virtual meetings is have a shared display. You have to be looking at something. And whether that is just a notes document where people are typing and tracking action items, like I say, that's better than nothing. Better than seeing the person who's speaking, you think? As an option. Like, I think uh, it depends on the meeting. You're, you're probably right about like, if you're having like a coaching call or something very personal, you're going to want to see the person's faces and like catch their micro, um, you know, expressions and stuff. But in the case of like a problem solving meeting or a brainstorming, you definitely want to be looking at something rather than just saying, what if we did a parallax where there were things moving in, you know, like let's draw it or let's look at an example and say what we like about it. When it makes it more concrete, right. When people Mm -hmm. can be looking at the same thing, reacting to the same thing, talking about the same thing. Well, yeah. And then what I love is when people are like, Oh, that's actually not what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, and, you know, surfacing where there's a not alignment is yeah. really important. Okay. So you're drawing on your iPad, you've got it hooked up so you can switch back and forth and make that easy. Mm-hmm. What other tools should people be thinking about when it comes to some of the things that you've described, particularly facilitating across a group? Because I think that's something, I mean, I know we struggle with that. I think that's something that a lot of people yeah. are struggling with today is how do you do that when you're not co-located? I've actually found that's like really remarkably easier than working in person is I'm using a virtual whiteboard in a lot of cases, which the the one that I use is called Mural. And what's cool about it is that when you're in, in a room of people, you put all these sticky notes on the walls and then someone's job is to document it and take pictures mm-hmm. and put it somewhere and get people to look at that if they weren't there. And it's, it's a, a full-time job to keep people engaged in sort of this like what I call for the Gates Foundation work is like a story dashboard. So we start this in March and by August, the story has changed a million times. And at any point in time, someone who's involved in the project, but not working on the story every day can come in and look at our dashboard and see like where it's at. And this is a different project. This is an animation I'm working on. And I, this is a, just another example mural. So I set up my workspace with 
at the top, it's like sort of where are we at in the project? What are we trying to accomplish today? Things that are blacked out are things that are just like client specific that I didn't mm-hmm. want to have visible. Um, and Catherine, do you have any experience with Google Jamboard? Nina's asking uh, how it's different from Mural. I actually don't know Google Jamboard. I don't either, but I will say that Mural, I think, comes with some really advanced facilitation tools. Like you can set a timer, you can follow someone as they move along, you can draw with it, you can create like outlines. So if you want to make it more of a presentation, people can jump or you can like just click next and sort of jump to different Zoom levels. So I think it has a lot of, they've been around for a long time. I remember creating an account like five years ago and then- when the pandemic happened, I like tried to log back in and I was locked out because my trial had ended. And I was like, can I get a new trial? Because I think it's been long enough that the thing has changed enough. So I don't know if you could do this in Jamboard either, but it has like an infinite canvas and workspace. So I just keep adding to it as we go. And, you know, this was a, a deeper storyboard. And Cole, this is very much the storytelling with data inspired process because- I love it. I see a narrative a arc narrative there, I think. Arc, yeah. <laughs> And then a detailed storyboard with all of our supporting points and pictures. And then now we're taking all what's on the bottom of like details into the middle row, which is our frame by frame animation storyboard and what charts and what transitions and what the the, the voiceover is going to say. So when we convene, this has evolved to the next round. So when people join, they can go in and watch me walk through this, but they can also add in sticky notes and put comments like, let's not use photography. Let's either make it just animation or use like emojis or something. So all of these are like client notes or people adding their input. And I will say from my experience, I was more hopeful that I could get people to participate in the mural itself than has actually been my what has actually happened. I think people will rely on me to do the navigation and addition and taking all the notes and putting them in. And they're a little bit hesitant to get involved. And I think that is just the, the, something that will take a lot of practice and it feels like it was too much too soon to get like a group of people that was used to working in person analog to like all of a sudden be doing this in a virtual space. So I've sort of taken it upon myself to be like the well, and I have to imagine that changes, right? Because even if we think back to like how Zoom was, like I think to the things that we're doing and how we'd have to spend a bunch of time at the beginning of everything explaining how to use Zoom and that yeah. has faded away, right? With the last couple of months. So yeah, it'll be interesting I mean, I'll to see say what happens over time. There are very many bright spots that you can think about when you think about 2020, but I do think the advancement in terms of just like, virtual work and tech literacy by necessity has been really transformational in terms of like getting shit done when you're not in the same room. And because we have to, we've just figured it out. And I think that has a lot of implications for like making more equitable workplaces and, you know, encouraging people. Now they understand why it's important if half of the team is in a room together to really put a lot of effort into the people who are joining remotely and making sure they can be engaged in that experience. And so maybe we use a mural anyway, even though there's a whiteboard in the room so that the people who aren't there can participate. And so those things are like now going to come more second nature than they did before. Absolutely. All right. I want to see your smiling face back though. Can we do that? I know. You probably forget that that we don't even see you. I totally do. So- What, what are you thinking about? What are you learning about? How are you, because I imagine, right, given the varied past that we've heard about and all the experiences you have, that you are one of these people who's continuing to develop new skills and learn new things. So where are you focusing your energy when it comes to that these days? You may have heard me mention equity like 50 times during our call. I actually through the work of a a different client that's featured on my website, I have gotten an education in, you know, sort of systemic racism and the world that we're living in and how unfair it is to many people. And I've been questioning how data visualization is either helping or harming the whole situation. And because it's a field that I'm interested in and I enjoy, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is 
promoting equity from the start. And so I, I actually took Heather Krause's We All Count from We All Count's Foundations of Data Equity course and highly recommend that for anyone in the field. When I first got the learning materials, I was like, oh, this isn't really going to relate to what I do because I'm sort of an outsider and I'm not controlling like the funding or the data, but it is just really good rounded knowledge to help you understand your blind spots in the process of communicating with data. How long was the course? What was the format? I think she does it. I mean, it's, it seems to be well orchestrated, so there must be repeated like maybe quarterly or something, but it was two four hour sessions done via webinar. And I was like, not pumped to be in another zoom, but I also found it very engaging. I took sketch notes on it and shared them on my Instagram. So you can look there for those, but I assume you do like show notes or something. So I can also yeah, give we'll you put a link all of this stuff there. You can yeah, put them in there. Awesome. Yes, we'll put everything in the show notes so that people have easy access to that stuff. And my, how quickly an hour flies by when we're (laughs) chatting and looking at pictures. I love it. But yeah, we're nearly out of time. So Catherine, are there any upcoming projects or events you want to mention? Where can people follow you and your work? Uh, Yeah, so... I'm on katherinemadden.com and I mentioned a lot of things in in terms of learning materials. So there's a page on the website, katherinemadden.com slash learning, where I feature some things that I'm really excited to share, which include like my Skillshare courses, which are a little bit old. And if you're trying to learn paper, like the interface has changed, but the foundations of like the process are still the same. But then within the paper app, if you're interested in like the iPad doodling thing, I have classes or tutorials that you can download, one on handwriting, one on data doodles, which I think would be very pertinent to this group. And fun. And right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like make a pie chart of how you spend your time today, which is illuminating. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I spent what, how I planned to spend my time was this. And then how I actually spent my time was half of it on Instagram. <laughs> or that's just me, maybe. But then the next one I'm creating is on sketch notes. So that'll be coming to the paper store in September. So yeah, I'm really excited about all those um, sort of pe- pieces of the puzzle to help people go on the journey from can't draw to draw with others. And that's my goal. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Catherine, thank you for joining. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And with that, for everybody tuning in, as I mentioned, I'll include all of the great resources that Catherine mentioned in the show notes. And thanks for tuning in. 